0: The reading today is from Matthew 914 14-34. A question about fasting. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. A girl restored to life, and a woman healed. While he was saying these things to them, behold, A ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come, sight. I think I've skipped the page there. (laughs) Okay, my daughter has just died. There. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed them with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years. Came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. Jesus heals two blind men. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men following him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went away, and it spread his fame through all the district. Jesus heals a man unable to speak. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon was, had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He cast out demons by the Prince of Demons.
1: New and improved. New and improved. If you think about it, it's really kind of a funny phrase. Because which is it? New or is it improved? Because to be improved implies that something old is made better. But to say that something's new means a break with the old. It means that the old hasn't been improved, but it's been replaced. There's something new. The old is gone and the new has come. So can something really be new and improved? Or is it new or improved? And that's the question. That's the question that we face today as we come to this passage. Has Jesus just come to improve the old or has he come to bring the new? Has Jesus come just to make that which exists a little bit better? Or has He come to do something completely new? And friends, the answer to that question makes all the difference. We find the narrative is quickly shifted from feasting to fasting. Last week, you might remember that we ended with the story of Jesus feasting with tax collectors and sinners. And this week we begin with a question from the religious people about fasting. Now, fasting is the deliberate the deliberate abstinence from food from a period of time. And religious fasts were recognized as a time of preparation. You fasted to prepare yourself. It was a time of repentance, a time of mourning, a time of prayer, a time of preparing to meet the Lord. And so Jesus here is faced with John the Baptist's disciples who come and they go, why don't your disciples fast the way that we and the Pharisees all fast? In other words, why aren't you fasting like the really religious people do? And Jesus' answer is, because something new has come. Because something new has come. I'm not just here to improve the old. I'm here to declare something new has come. Fasting is preparation. Jesus says, "Now is the time for celebration, because what you've been preparing for has arrived." Friends, the Hebrew Scriptures are filled with pictures of God's people as a bride, and God Himself as their groom. For example, through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 54:5 says, "For your Maker is your husband." The Lord of hosts is His name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, He's called. And so Jesus announces, He says, Hey, with My coming, the bridegroom has come to redeem His bride. And we've all been to weddings before. And friends, weddings are not a time for fasting. Weddings are a time for feasting. So Jesus says, look, I've invited these tax collectors and sinners, join the feast, put away the old and come celebrate with the new. I've come to make it new, not just improved. And he illustrates with two illustrations in verses 16 and 17 about new cloth and new wine. Now, if you sew a patch of new cloth on an old garment, then ultimately that new cloth, once you start washing it, is going to shrink and it's going to pull away from the garment and make the tear worse. And in the same way, in the ancient world, new wine was put in goat skins. And goat skins were used to hold the wine as it fermented. But as wine ferments, it expands. And the wine skin, being a new wine skin, was flexible and would expand with the wine. The problem is, if you then emptied out that wine skin and you put more new wine into the old wine skin, it's already stretched out. It doesn't have any more give. And as that new wine expanded and fermented, that old wineskin would burst. And so Jesus is announcing here with these illustrations. He says, I haven't just come to patch up or improve on an old system. I'm bringing new wine. I'm not just a reformer of the old. I'm a revealer of the new. I have come to make new, not just improved. Jesus in today's parlance, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind, that's going to burst your wineskins. The new has come. Friends, and that's what we've been seeing, isn't that? I mean, the last few weeks, think about what we have seen in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has come doing something new. He's teaching with a new authority, unlike anyone else who's taught before Him. He touches the unclean and He makes them clean. He touches and heals the sick. He has come and He's forgiving sins. He sets sinners feasting and the religious people fretting. And now He has the audacity and the authority to say, you know what? Fasting should be temporarily suspended because with My coming, the fulfillment is here and the feasting begins. The bridegroom has come for His bride. Again, friends, if Jesus is not actually who He claims to be, If Jesus is not God Himself, come for His people, then what He's saying here is blasphemy. You cannot take this man to be a great teacher. Because any man who said the things that he said, if they were not true, that man is demented or a deceiver. And either way, you shouldn't listen to a word he says. But, friends, if it's true, if this man is God Himself, the bridegroom come for his bride, then the only question that remains for you and for me is Am I going to join the feast? And do you notice in this account that that question is left unanswered? Did John's disciples join the feast with Christ? Did they embrace the new? Friends, will you? Now the story quickly shifts in verse 18. While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before Jesus saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now from Luke and Mark's accounts, we know that the ruler's name was Jairus. Matthew doesn't give us his name, but we know his name is Jairus. And also from Luke and Mark's accounts, we know that our friend Matthew has really abbreviated this story. Mark and Luke let us know that when the ruler first sought out Jesus, his daughter was only near death. And it was actually while Jesus was talking to the woman who was bleeding and healing her that Jairus got word his daughter had died. But Matthew here, he chooses just to cut to the chase. The bottom line is there's a dead daughter. And Jesus is on the move to help her. However, on the move to help her, he's interrupted. He's interrupted in verses 20 through 21. It says, Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Friends, that woman shouldn't have been there that day. She should not have been in the crowd that day. Matthew tells us this woman had been subject to some kind of uncontrollable menstrual bleeding for 12 years. And according to Leviticus 15, this woman was ceremonially unclean. And thus anything that she touched also became ceremonially unclean. So this woman shouldn't have been in a crowd, in a pressing crowd where her ceremonial uncleanness was being spread to the crowd, her condition would have left her on the very fringes of society. She would have been isolated, poor, shamed, and alone. And more than that, we find out that this woman was desperate. In Mark's account, he tells us, Mark 25:26 that she had suffered much under physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So friends, not only did the doctors not ultimately help improve her situation, they made it worse. And really, isn't that the human condition? Isn't that the human condition? We try to improve things, but so often our solutions only make things worse. And as such, we all come to Jesus like this woman, bleeding and unclean, Our sin sickness has cut us off from God. Our uncleanness, our guilt and shame has cast us away from others. And our solutions are at very best temporary fixes. And at worst, our solutions have simply made the problem even worse. And this woman has done everything humanly possible to improve her situation. And what she needs, friends, what she needs is not just improved. She needs something new. She needs to be made new. And by faith, this woman reaches beyond what is humanly possible and what is reasonable, and she reaches to what is divine, and she touches the hem of Jesus' cloak. Jesus makes something new happen for this woman. She's healed. She's healed. Now again, our friend Matthew chooses to give us the shortened version of this account because Mark and Luke record that this woman played a game of hide-and-seek with Jesus in the crowd. And Jesus actually had to ask, Who touched me? Who touched me? And then this woman revealed herself. But again, Matthew's moving the story along. And Matthew just skips to the results in verse 22, saying, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Now at this point, I just have to say, friends, you need to understand, this woman's faith itself did not make her well. Jesus made this woman well. Her faith did not make her well. Jesus made her well. Friends, friends, faith is a means, not a manipulator. Faith is a means. Faith is not manipulation. Church, understand that there are some veins of Christianity out there, notably the Word of Faith movement, that teaches you simply need to have belief in the force of faith, and that we can create and manipulate reality with words of faith. We can speak and claim promises to make them ours. Sometimes it's called name it and claim it, theology. And it essentially says that faith can be used to manipulate reality or even manipulate God Himself into giving us what we want. Health, wealth, healing, prosperity. And we simply need to have the faith to speak and to claim these promises. So if you don't have, it's because you don't have enough faith. And church, that is nothing short of idolatry and heresy. So flee from any teacher's. That you hear making those kind of promises. And too many Christians today have been left devastated when their prayers have seemed to go unanswered. When diseases have gone unhealed. When financial opportunities have fallen through. When loved ones have died. If only I had had more faith. Friends, that's tragic. The Bible teaches that at most faith is a means. Faith is not manipulation. You cannot manipulate God with faith. For this woman, faith was only a conduit. It wasn't a cause of her healing. By faith, this woman reached out and she touched the hem of Jesus' robe. However, her faith didn't cause the healing to flow. Her faith was the conduit because the healing flowed by God's sovereign choice. And by Jesus' healing, this woman's situation became not just improved. Friends, this woman became new. Because remember, this woman's condition, this woman's condition, as we saw, would have made her a pariah. She was physically sick. She was ceremonially unclean. She was cut off from the community. Jesus didn't just improve this woman's situation. He gave her a new life. I mean, when she was exposed to the crowd for who she was and what her condition was, they would have been furious at her. First of all, they assumed that if you were suffering some kind of an incurable disease, it was because you deserved it. Because you were that horrible of a sinner that God was putting this upon you. So they would have said this horrible of a sinner dares to come amongst us. And more than that, she's ceremonially unclean. And she's touching all of us. She's making us ceremonially unclean. They would have been furious at her. But Jesus very publicly heals her. He calls her out. He's not going to let her hide. He calls her out. He publicly heals her. He makes her new. And friends, not only does He heal her physically and make her new, He gives her a new place in the community. And He gives her a new name. Did you hear what Jesus called her in verse 22? Take heart, daughter. Daughter. This woman who would have been despised and an outcast, cut off from the community. Jesus heals her publicly so they see she is well. He declares her clean. And more than that, He calls her daughter. Friends, there is no one, there is no one else in all of the Gospels that Jesus calls daughter. But this unloved, ostracized woman that has no hope, no family, No place in the community. Jesus heals her publicly so that all can see. He declares her clean. He makes a place for her in the community. And He calls her daughter. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. John in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, declares to all who did receive Jesus who believed, who had faith in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. The Apostle Paul celebrated in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's as we sang together this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a daughter. I am a son. I am a child of God. Friends, the whole Gospel can be summarized in the one word that Jesus spoke to this woman. Daughter. Daughter. She who was cut off, cast off, fearful, fearful, far away, unwell, unclean. Jesus healed her body and by His words in front of the crowd that day restored her to the community. She who was dead now lives. She's not just improved, friends. She has a new life. She is a daughter. And friends, maybe you've come here today or maybe you're watching today and you're like this woman. You've come here saddled with names that other people have given you. Unclean, stupid, unworthy, addict, guilty, embarrassment, shameful, unloved. And maybe you've come here today like that woman, hoping to just remain anonymous amongst the crowd. You're fearful like her of being exposed, but you desperately, so desperately, are hoping for the touch of Jesus Christ today. Friends, hear the gospel. Jesus has come not just to improve your situation. He's come to make you new. To give you a new life that you might be born again as a daughter. As a son. And what stops you, like this woman, from reaching out in faith and touching Him and trusting Him? Now I'm sure that this was a powerful scene. But I have to imagine that Jairus standing there was probably not so moved because he also had a daughter. And friends, what happens next is really one of the most understated accounts in all of Scripture. So Jesus leaves this dramatic event and it says he follows Jairus to his house and he sees the mourners. And in verse 24, Jesus says, Go away! The girl's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Now, Jesus isn't saying these people are stupid. He's not saying that they're mistaken, that they've mistaken a deep sleep for death. I mean, friends, these people had a lot more exposure to death than you and I do today. They knew the difference. This girl is truly dead. However, what's Jesus declaring? Friends, he's declaring the gospel that something new is here. Jesus has come with a power that is so great that it makes raising the dead as easy as rousing the sleeper. In the most ridiculously understated way, Jesus walks in the girl's room. He reaches down into death itself. He takes her by the hand and raises her to life. And that's it. He just raised the girl from the dead. Friends, This is new. Jesus' touch not only drives out uncleanness. Jesus' touch not only heals the sick. It not only calms the storm. It doesn't just drive out demons. Jesus' touch can bring the dead to life. Friends, this is something new. Not just an improved life. This daughter is raised to life. And it points us to the Gospel, to the good news. Jesus can raise this girl to life because one day Jesus Himself will die for our sins on the cross and will rise again to new life. And if Jesus has in fact risen to new life as we celebrate every Easter, then we too can now walk in the newness of life. As the Apostle Paul celebrates in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we were buried therefore with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk In newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Friends, this girl was raised from the dead, a foreshadowing that Jesus Himself would be raised from the dead. And friends, the fact that Jesus Himself was raised from the dead guarantees that we too who have trusted in Him will one day be raised from the dead. That we too right here and now can live in a spiritual newness of life and one day we will rise when Christ returns. Friends, the Gospel is not that Jesus just came to improve things. It's that He came to make us and to make all things new. The Apostle Paul celebrated in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, by faith have you been made new. Church, by faith are you living now that newness of life. Because if you're living that newness of life, church, when sin comes calling... When your distorted desires beckon you, you can declare, I'm new in Christ. I'm a daughter. I'm a son of God. You no longer sin have any claim on me. When Satan tempts you to despair because of your past failures and your weaknesses, you can remember that the old is gone and the new has come. When persecution comes your way and you're called an extremist or one of those people who are on the wrong side of history, remember the laughter and the doubt of the mourners. It didn't diminish the truth of Jesus' power to raise that little girl and to make her new. Church, are you living the newness of life that Christ has come to give? What hinders you from doing so? And friends, these final two accounts simply append and add to the newness theme that we've seen. We find two blind men in verse 27. Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed Him crying aloud, Have mercy on us, Son of David. Friends, the Son of David was the prophesied Messiah, the Anointed One who would come, a descendant of David, one who would ultimately rescue His people from their sins. So these two blind men they see Jesus a lot more clearly than the people around them. They recognize Him for who He is. And they cry out, Son of David, you can do something that no one else can. Heal our eyes. You know, it's amazing. Because in John's Gospel, when Jesus heals a man who was born blind, in John chapter 9, the crowd made a startling statement about blindness. Blindness. After healing the man born blind in John 9, the people declare in John 9.32, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And friends, they're right. They're right. There is no recorded incident of opening the eyes of a person born blind in the Old Testament or in other extra-biblical sources. Healing the blind is really something new. Something that the Messiah, the Son of David, has come to do. And can do. He's not just improving what's been done before. He's doing something new. And as we see with the bleeding woman, with the blind men, it says in verse 29, Jesus touches their eyes saying, according to your faith, Be it done to you. Again, faith, their faith was not the cause, but the conduit of the healing. Jesus wasn't manipulated by their faith, it was simply the means of their healing. And Jesus does something new, making the blind see. And he does the same thing in the final account, in verses thirty-two through thirty-four, where something new has come. He casts out. The demon oppressed man who was unable to speak. He casts out the demon and he heals the man. And in verse 33, when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. The crowds marveled saying, never, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Friends, this is something new. This is something new. The blind are seeing. The mute are speaking. The dead are rising. This is something new. We haven't seen this before. In fact, you remember last week we saw the paralyzed man when he was raised last week to walk again. When Mark records that story in Mark chapter 2 verse 12, the people responded. It says the man rose and immediately picked up his bed. Went out before them all so that they were all amazed and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Friends, understand Jesus hasn't just come to tweak what is. He hasn't just come to improve upon what has been done. We never saw anything like this. Never has anything like this been done in Israel. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Friends, Jesus has come not just to improve what is, but to make new. This is the gospel. Something new has come. Jesus has come not just to improve upon what is. He hasn't come just to improve us. He hasn't come just to give a little bit of a boost to our efforts or put a little bit of polish on our work. Jesus has come with the power to do new things and the power to make new. And never has anything like this been seen in the history of the world. The blind see, the mute speak, the sick are healed, the unclean are cleansed, and the dead rise. Friends, Jesus has come not just to make improved, but to make new. And have you been made new? Have you been? Been made new By faith, have you, like this woman, reached out and trusted Him? If not, what stops you from reaching out today? And church, that same faith, the same faith that healed, is the same faith and newness in which we live. Are you living in the newness of life that Christ has come to bring? Or are you settling for just living slightly improved? Are you living in newness? And church, are you joining in the celebration and the proclamation that the bridegroom has come? Are you proclaiming to others this good news? Because friends, our world has put its hope in incremental change and slight improvements. But we declare the hope of Jesus Christ. That if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the old passes away. The new comes. Friends, let's go forth and proclaim this good news, that Christ has come to make us new, not just improved. And let's pray. Father, thank you for this hope. Hope that you are making all things new. Hope that the old is passing away and that the new has come. Hope that defies all hope. Father, thank you. Thank you for this hope. May we live this hope. May we bear this hope. May we celebrate this hope as we go forth from here and forevermore. Amen.